and welcome to Movie Ghoul Around, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart, and you heard that right. It is not Movie Go Round this week, but rather the second installment this October of Movie Ghoul Round. It's our second annual outing doing this. The first time we're doing it more formally, we planned it out this time, whereas last year was a little bit on accident. But you guys enjoyed it last year, and we enjoyed it, too. So it's back. All movies spooky and creepy and fun. We are celebrating the Halloween month with you this October 2019. Yesterday, we started the marathon, and we started it with... Uh, what movie did we watch, guys? Uh, let's see. It was You Did This to Us. Does anyone remember? Monster House. Was Monster, House. Liked it. Monster House. We watched Monster <laughs> House, and that took place on Halloween. So now this week, we watched a movie that was Halloween. But before we do that, I want to introduce those two wonderful people that you are hearing in the background. David Luzader, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I have closed all the blinds in my house because that is the only way to stay safe in this movie is to never look out a window. So I'm good. <laughs> Very good. What about you, Nicole? How are you, Nicole Davis? Um. Well, I'm down here on the floor sitting in front of my rig with the Yeti that I stole back from my son's uh, pod recording rig and uh i feel pretty good about myself i have this good um foam knife that i confiscated from said son when he was like ah. eight and i didn't think he should have it so maybe i can scare off an intruder very very briefly with this uh, while i make a run for it good you are well prepared um there are a lot of knives in this movie and that is because we watched 2018's halloween the the revamping the sequel uh, to the Halloween franchise. This was a new to two pick, meaning I picked it and David Nicole had not seen it before. Before I explain why I picked it, I do want to mention tomorrow's movie in the marathon, should listeners like to follow along. It's on Netflix because we have Netflix roulette next week. That's where all three of us spin a wheel and the Netflix gods choose our film. We did, however, put a stipulation on this similar to you did this to us. It had to be a horror film. So we got 2016's A Dark Song, directed by Liam Gavin. It is an independent Irish horror film. It looks pretty interesting. We're excited to talk about it. So you can follow along easily on Netflix. Hey, everybody, I'm jumping in here uh, in editing to let you know that the movie actually ended up changing because it turned out our Netflix roulette wheel was wrong and it wasn't actually on Netflix. We ended up spinning again and we got Aramentari, The Devil and the Blacksmith. It is a film from Spain in the Basque language, so be sure to check that out again, Aramentari. This week, however, Halloween 2018, the reason I picked this was I was surprised you guys hadn't seen it and... I saw us in theaters last year, and it was so much fun because it came out around Halloween. It was in October. It's the perfect spirit of what movie Ghoul Round really is. And I think it's a really interesting continuation slash reboot of a beloved horror franchise done right by a studio that is 
marred by lots of hits and misses, uh, that studio being Blumhouse. And I think that by bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back, by continuing the story, by making Halloween awesome again with John Carpenter coming back, first time since the first one, I thought this was a very special movie, and uh, I do have a love of this movie. Nicole. Oh, Brett, what's it about? It's about... Oh, yeah. I have not read... (laughs) It's Halloween. Mike Myers, he goes, he stabs people. Uh, When Michael Myers (laughs) escapes during a transfer between mental hospitals, Laurie Strode gets the opportunity to confront the evil figure who has haunted her and for whose return she has been preparing since she escaped his killing spree 40 years ago. So, sorry about that. Thanks for the reminder, Nicole. Not that you really really need it. I'm really disappointed we use the word figure and not shape. Uh, come on, guys. Sorry. What yes. kind of Halloween fans are we? I not know. very big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not long running ones. This is my so, first Halloween movie ever. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, well, I'm so. surprised you said the return of John Carpenter. He was basically like a, a consultant on this, like executive producer. <laughs> and he did a- do the score, though. Yeah, yeah they, they revamped his classic score yes so the reason i say the return of john carpenter is because he was so hands-off and everything following the first halloween i do think that it suffered from that i think john carpenter's vision is what made the first halloween so classic and i also think that john carpenter is in some ways you know the the granddad of horror music in many ways and his revamp soundtrack because keep in mind like him and his son revamped this soundtrack totally did a brand new soundtrack re-recorded the halloween theme and it is so on mark with the sparse intense nail-biting style that he introduced in 1978 and that was really exciting for me as someone that loves john carpenter who loves him as a composer to see him finally back in his element with this and i think it's a huge contributor to the movie yeah, John Carpenter's soundtracks are unique, to say the least. Not all, I don't want to say there's ever really like a bad one. I'd say they're interesting more often than not. So to have that, uh, I think that that does add so much because that original score is so iconic. To, to have it brought back, especially in a movie that is a, a sequel with the same name as the first movie, it does add a, a sort of, I guess... I, I, I don't want to use the word authority, but that's the word jumping to my head. Uh, it adds a lot for, I think, returning fans uh, to, to get that sort of comforting hug home of John Carpenter's <laughs> music. Yeah, and I know I think authority, Michael Myers hug <laughs> but I think I think authority is the right word because that classic like five four refrain in music is the iconic uh, tempo and style for horror. It's set the template for so much horror music and for him to come back and, you know, infuse it with a lot of uh, modern electronic instruments that he then infused again with the classical synthesizers he was using in the seventies really brings a cool sound to this movie. Like if you ever just want to listen to the straight soundtrack of this movie, which I have on vinyl, uh, it's really cool. It's a great soundtrack. <laughs> so I'm going to ramble about that a little bit this episode. I do like it quite a bit. Um, All right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna poke my my 
my old lady nose in here and point out <laughs> that horror scores were made before 1978. Of so course. Of John course. Carpenter's not the be all end all of horror scores. They've gone well back into the, the beginning of the sound era in the cinema. Yeah. Of <laughs> course, but the Beatles made, made rock and roll. Spider-Man 2. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Like they, they, yeah, they, they made superhero movies before Spider-Man Two came out. But well, look at the nightmare hellscape we were living in. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and again, of course, like I'm not saying when I say he's the granddad of horror. I mean, obviously, we can go much farther back than that. I just mean that he's, you know, his style of horror then set the decades moving forward. Um, and yes. I've always really loved him for that. I think he's a great composer. I'm really excited he came back to do this with his son. Um, but let's talk about some other stuff with this movie. We have some wonderful discussion topics here. So let's talk about those selfish, self-involved podcasters. I want to introduce the discussion with this because I feel like we're going to ramble for a good 15 minutes on this. God. So the movie opens up with with these true crime pod investigative journalist podcasters <laughs> who are doing the story on Mike Myers. These aren't I listen to investigative journalist podcasts. I listen to a lot of true crime because whatever. I, I we get it. People get murdered. Uh <laughs> None of them sound like this. None of them sound like this grandiose and this like excited. Like these people are, they're horny for Michael Myers. Like they are just so into it. And it oh, especially is. the dude. The dude wants it. It's just it's so bad. <laughs> I I hate them. I hate them. I'm just gonna start that off. I hate them, and they're the only ones that I was like, I'm okay with them being murdered right now. I- I think we're supposed to hate him because he's got like that super cultured British voice, but he looks exactly like the reporter in Die Hard. Um, <laughs> he totally does. He totally does. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a deep cut. Where my number one question is, where are they getting the money to pay Laurie Strode? Public radio, David. And where <laughs> did they get where did they get the mask? Where did they get the mask? No, they a have they have a friend. The attorney's office. Oh, lent them the mask out of evidence, yeah. just to have and wave around to no, see to what taunt, would happen. To taunt an incarcerated criminal with, um, yeah. So I mean, they 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 certainly do have this intensely grandiose idea of what they're doing. Um, like what, like David said, when I think of like true crime podcast i think of like phoebe judge just whispering to me um on criminal uh shout out to phoebe judge that's a really good show and you actually should listen to it but it's not written like they are talking when they record field recordings sitting in front of michael myers sister's tomb (laughs) they their recording environments are insane they are walking through an open air uh, like facility and the wind is blowing and the subject they're talking to is like five feet away from them. And the nothing mic is pointed record, the wrong direction. <laughs> nothing they record is usable. It is all hot garbage. Oh. It's all going to be. Now, 
Now, fortunately, yes. they I say fortunately because they are just the most miserably frustrating characters of this movie. They are the first casualty. No, they're actually not the first. They're the four, no. third and fourth yeah. casualties. No, no, uh-huh. mate, fifth, sixth. There's a, they, they're the, the first, first notable people to get killed by Mike Myers. Least, yeah, there's at least they, two people at the gas station. And the Mike kid Myers and, kills a kid. Oh, that was not great. I oh, yeah, love. the kid and his dad. I, I did not like that. the first kill. He killed American uh, Billy Elliot. I was so mad. That's what he you meant by American dance. Billy Elliot. Yeah, he just wanted to he dance. His dad, you know, his dad's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, come out and hunting and do some manly bonding with me. And he's like, I just want to go to dance class, dad. I didn't. You know, just- <laughs> I and I figured they weren't going to, but they hinted they like that scene when he walks into the house and he first picks up the knife after he kills the the woman for no reason uh and there's a crying baby and he walks into the room with the knife i'm like they if they do this i'm turning the movie off if they go the direction they're like hinting they're gonna go and you know he walks by the baby and doesn't kill it but they are did already kill the kid and i'm like that's not yeah yeah Yeah. supposed to be pure evil why why not? We don't have to see it happen. It can happen off screen. Though he also Even, seems he, to be... I, I think it's important to note, though, that he's pure evil with a very specific motivation, which is to, like, to kill a specific person. And in order to and do also that... also anybody he comes across. Right. But if you think about all the people he kills in this movie, every single one of them is killed to then extend his means to get what he needs next to go after after Strode. Because he kills the podcasters to get his, to get his um, to get their car and to get his mask. He kills the kid. I'm sorry. He kills the kid to get the car. Kills the podcasters to get the mask. Kills the mom in front of her baby to get a knife. Um, because he can't use a hammer anymore. Hammers only once. He has to use the knife throughout the entirety. It's right. The hammer's useless after that. It just it's all right. It's <laughs> blood. It's, it's like part of the fired. It's like when you yeah. fired all the bullets out of a gun, it's time you have to throw the gun away. Right, you have to get just get rid gun. of the gun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only people I think of that he that he I suppose does that he kills without reason toward getting closer to Lori is maybe the, the high schoolers. I don't know if there's a reason well, to kill them. There's zero reason to kill them, aside from punishing high schoolers as slasher flicks love to do. And sure. also the woman inside the house that he, he goes into and stabs in the neck. I don't think there was any reason for Oh, yeah, there was her. absolutely no reason for that one. One yeah, of my that, favorite shots in the movie. She's going around setting up her house for the this? evening. No. And he just walks around the side of the house and in a single shot then comes through the back and stabs her in the neck for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's dark, Ooh. guys. Um, but I, I do want to talk about about these podcasters a little bit more because I do think this movie is is poking fun. I mean, there, there's some fun to be had at the no. expense of... No, I know, I know. <laughs> There's some fun to be had at the expense of the of the true crime podcasters, but I also think that it is a a way, and I think a comedically uh, intelligent way to wrap modern day into Halloween, because by and large the events of this movie can happen and unfold in 1978 the same as they can in 2018. There's not a lot of tech in the movie, but to have the podcasters being the catalyst for all this shit going down really makes it for me. 
I mean, yeah, they have they have to get rid of the cell phones pretty quick. They can't have people using cell phones because that eliminates all of that. Uh, it'll, uh, all horror movies, right? None of it works if you can e- easily contact the people you need to contact. Right. Uh, and I, I do think that the true crime thing also does make sense for people like me who haven't watched the original Halloween in order to explain some of that lore. I actually do like the device. I hate the execution of it. Yeah. I, I think yeah. there there was a better way to do it. Uh, even just having them hold the microphones closer to the face of the people they're trying to talk to <laughs> and, or having them like sit down and like showing them like recording the, you know, we're going to travel off to go, speak to Michael Myers, who, as we all know, did this famous murder spree. But I'm like, okay, cool with you. So what you're saying is they should have taken the Michael Bay approach, which is you don't hire, you don't teach astronauts how to drill. You teach drillers how to be astronauts, just like how you don't teach actors to be podcasters. He should have brought in actual podcasters and taught them how to act. Uh, sure. See, I could have gone to the Carolinas in January. Yes, sure. This movie David was, this definitely could have made it. <laughs> Armageddon deep cut there. Uh, yeah. 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 No, it's it's weird. It, it, but I do like that that's how they play with modern day a little bit. Um, and you would think that if there was this infamous murderer of so. And actually, no, you don't have to think about it. Think about Mindhunter and um, all the true crime podcasts we do have if if mike myers did exist things like that would exist for him so i think that part of it that obsession that we see from multiple characters throughout the movie the doctor overseeing him included feels like something that would happen to me um so i i really do like that part of it but let's also talk about the rise and fall of some of these slasher films because this is a continuation of a genre that before gosh when was the last slasher film that people cared about until this came out last year like texas chainsaw in the mid 2000s yeah uh the people actually cared about might be texas chainsaw but that was even starting to get on the the edge a little bit of our slasher our slashers are monsters like unkillable monsters uh which became the trend of when they did a you know reboot halloween and they brought jason back it's like they're no longer people they are these behemoths i would say the last one might actually be one of the scream movies Hmm. okay oh i guess as a straight up slasher movie i was gonna say you know cabin in the woods is in a way a slasher movie like within a more clever package yeah, I yeah. think it's a stretch, though, because it is parodying slasher films. It's self-aware of the fact that there is a rise and fall of the genre. Yeah, that's so, true. But no, but you, you yeah. are right, though. I mean, it is a very slashery movie in, in the way all the folks get killed in it, and it plays all those tropes that this movie has in spades. Um, and there's well, definitely yeah, been... Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to suggest to David that watching this movie pretty much is watching the original Halloween because there is so much fan service in this movie oh, that yeah. it's in many ways it retraces a lot of the steps of the original. I mean, that's something I, I already knew a few of the uh, 
the the send ups or the the callbacks. You know, I, I knew about the whole looking outside a window and there's someone there, but this time it's it's Laurie instead of Mike Myers, and or uh, her getting thrown off the balcony and he goes to investigate and she's gone, which is just what happened in the first one. I think there's a the honest trailer for this movie goes over a lot of those references <laughs> and I'd seen that before. So I, and I kind of wish that I hadn't, I mean, I, I kind of knew already the whole looking over the balcony thing and disappearing, but I really wish I could have come at this from a pure standpoint of knowing almost nothing about Halloween and just seeing like how much that would have stood on its own. And some of that continued fan service as well is the fact that, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is back. Will Padden is back. Um, those, I think, Nick, are the two. Nick Castle is back, right? right. Yeah, right. Um, John he's Carpenter back. is back. Back is the, he's, he only appears in like one or two shots, but he does like the. the they wanted three. to be able to say that Nick Castle yeah. had right. yeah, done and, the and then shape we at have, some point in this movie. Yeah, and he right. um, he. So we have a lot of these the these people returning from the the classic film, and uh, I I think that's kind of what makes this movie for me in many ways is to see Jamie Lee Curtis be badass. I think that's why this movie is great, in my opinion, is because at the end of the day, like it, yes, it's an evolution in a fun send up way of what Halloween was in a contemporary sense, but just seeing her kick ass is so much fun. And it's so much fun to see her on the, the, it's not flight this time, it's entirely fight. And that's fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we don't have this in the discussion topic, but I'm just curious how you guys felt about her, uh, her PTSD and how that was used in the movie and, and played out. I don't know how I feel Mm. about it. It didn't set entirely well with me. I mean, on the one hand, it's completely understandable. You know, somebody, some random guy tried to kill her relentlessly on Halloween night 40 years ago. And, you know, no matter how long ago that is, something that dramatic is going to have a lasting impact on you. But on the other hand, he was, you know, committed to a secure psychiatric facility for, you know, an indeterminate amount of time for life, presumably. Mm -hmm. And so she would, in theory, be able to assume that he was never going to come back and try to put her life back together properly. Yeah, she does kind of react like she knows the (laughs) plots of the other Halloween movies. Yeah, like so he's gonna a, come back. And for context, this movie acts as if the, all the rest had never happened. Um, they're not really canon in this version of the universe, which is going to have more sequels, and we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I think it brings some of the more interesting plot elements into focus in terms of the the family relationship being in disrepair for her. Um, in terms of the the incredible build out of this booby-trapped home, um, which I think is the coolest plot device of the movie. Uh, and we'll get into that more a little bit later. But I think her long-standing PTSD and paranoia feed into those those plot threads really well. And, and I think they are understandable. And I think that you have to look at this to an extent 
as the crazy doctor does in this movie when he says, you know, they they both I think both her and Mike like trade off like feeling predator and prey and they're after each other at this point and it's 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 just this lifelong obsession of moving out from being the prey to the predator for her and that can mess you up yeah, I, I i i and i i agree i mean she obviously I, you know no 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 i i think she would as Nicole said, she would put her life back together to a point. This would definitely affect her for the rest of her life. I think for me, it gets a little bit like she's been preparing for this right. show about a her lot entire of, life. Like, how do you know A lot of booby trapping back? for nothing. Like, why are you so, so hellbent? Yeah, I mean, especially after 40 years, you know, this dude is 60 years old. You don't think that perhaps he's might have lost his effectiveness, and yet he's shown again as being unholy strong that he can lift up you know this this teenage boy and pin him to the wall with a a sharp object yeah with a knife just like in the first movie i want to know what brand that knife was because i think it's the one anthony uses on queer eye craftsmanship on that (laughs) could be wrong on that (laughs) (laughs) could be could be the crossover um, we were all waiting for Right. But I mean, you know, who is letting, how is he still so strong? What kind of diet are they feeding him at the mental hospital? And do they let him in the workout room? Right. His workout regimen. What kind of workout equipment do they let violent mental patients have? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there's, you're supposed to have a certain level of fun with slasher movies to kind of just like let them, you know, let them go, let them happen. Like ridiculous things happen. I think when you start focusing on the really serious elements of stuff like PTSD, it brings in a question of how quickly did uh, Mike Myers skin that guy's face? Yeah. Right. Uh, to, to really, really sort of, was it a candle light or the flashlight? Behind? It was the flashlight, oh, okay. which, which was a really like interesting <laughs> image. But I have so many questions of how he likes how he skinned it so quickly and then perfectly placed it in the lap so that it would structurally stay <laughs> like stay looking like a head sure. and a face. Even after the car crashes. But I mean, this is exactly. the conversation you can sit and have, you know, about any film. You know, The Dark Knight Rises. How long did Batman oh, spend, sure. you know, painting the Batman symbol and in, in gasoline on the side of the thing by the river yes. before he lit it, you know? Um, <laughs> as, all right. I don't I don't want to just like be nitpicking everything apart. I I, I do want to say there was a lot definitely to and enjoy. I, and I think about that's one film. of the things though, because but I'm just pointing it's so outlandish. And there's a couple things that Mike Myers does in this that have always been staples of Halloween that are so psychotically theatrical that he takes the time to do for yes. no particular yes. reason. So and that's one of them. It's making the human jack-o'-lantern. And then there's the one where he you know, puts the ghost sheet over the the dead teen and and puts her in the window and he just he uses mirrors to freak Lori out by making her think he's in a different window. This man is calculating in his theatrics. Oh, from the first one? I can't remember. Yeah. I th- I think that, that also happened in the first one as well. Uh and look, Lori now is no no uh stranger to theatrics i mean just look at her house <laughs> oh my god that 
Why are there so many that, mannequins all right, everywhere? Fine. Why? We'll talk, Why? We'll talk about the mannequins for? because that seemed to be the center focus of Nicole's viewing of this film. That's literally all yes. Nicole can think about. What are they for other than just They're to be target there and practice. She shooting, shoots them. Shooting practice, I guess. There's no holes in a bunch of she them. She shoots though. them. She brings them back inside. Mm-hmm. She sets them up. This is actually a twist, and this is Psycho with Elijah Wood. Um, they're not Psychos, whatever it was called. I. I just had this like vision of her. You know, paper like, shooting targets are way cheaper. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and she had a few of those as well, but I'm just imagining her now, like putting those up and like the ones she's not using to shoot. She's like practicing karate moves on. <laughs> and it's just hilarious in my head. Okay. But it doesn't, this is where it doesn't make sense within the logic of the movie. Okay. So she's two things don't make sense. Number one, her house is an insane mess which makes it difficult to get around in and difficult to ascertain if you've actually got an intruder in there. And two, the mannequins, you could, and uh, she does, easily mistake them for actual people (laughs) and cause you to shoot in the wrong direction or be looking in the wrong direction at the wrong time because you think the mannequin might be a person or a person might be hiding among the mannequins. There is, it's, it's, it's too it much. It is too much. It's and too keep much. in mind, Mike does talk. hide. Not for somebody who is, you know, smart and actually. Right. And keep in mind, he does hide behind the mannequin because turns out mannequins are shaped like humans, which is the perfect size for a human to hide behind. Um, I hear you on that. No, the mannequins are weird. But you know what? She's also kind of crazy. And I think that's part of it is that her house, while being booby trapped, is also just kind of scattered like she is no there's mental there's there's ptsd type mental illness and there's schizophrenic break from reality mental illness and she does not have that yeah no i'm not saying she does but i am saying that she has (laughs) you know she was able to have a family but then still build out her giant booby trapped compound I, I don't know. I, I just I think there's there's it's something beyond PTSD to me. She didn't have a she didn't have a family. She had a daughter. Like I I don't think it was implied that she settled down sure. at any point and and had you know had a long lasting relationship. She at at some point got pregnant and, and had a daughter and started raising her in all this and everything in her life has been for this moment. She is like hellbent determined. This moment is going to happen. And it is like a little bit odd that you would uh, like the the plan is to get him into the basement, which the only way you can get him to the basement is you have to be in the basement. <laughs> so you're putting yourself in a place that he, like you're just gonna trap yourself in there with him. It works out in the end because that's how the movie goes. Also, why, why, why in the world when you're holding a gun and he is on the ground, would you not just unload that thing into him? You, I know. They walk, they walk away without seeing the. I know, and I know this is like Halloween. He's got to come back. I mean, he's always gonna come back. But it's like you, just he's standing right there. Just unload like your six revolvers into him. Yeah. Take zero risks. Exactly, exactly. Like there he's fallen down the stairs and she's trying to get her granddaughter back up. She's like, Come on, Allison, come on, Allison. And I'm yelling, 
freaking double tap Allison yeah. before Judy, you go upstairs. Yeah, Judy Greer's standing there with a with a loaded rifle. And it's like just point it and just keep going until Though, it starts. Does clicking. Judy Greer not yeah. instigate the greatest shot of the movie, which is her faking to be scared to shoot Mike Myers, at which point he reappears, she nails him, and then it pans back as Grandma's in the corner with a knife. And it's Happy Halloween, Michael. Guys, that's cool. Come on. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not cool. Judy Greer is an American <laughs> treasure. That's not the discussion. <laughs> right. No, and I don't want to make it sound like I hated this movie because right, I, didn't. I didn't. You know, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I thought it was certainly a better sequel than all the other sequels. <laughs> um, but this, it's also this movie is not nearly as clever as it thinks it is. I mm-hmm. kind of agree with that. I, I I do. I think this is a this is a movie that's going to serve the purpose that the original one serves now, which is like, hey, let's get together around Halloween and watch this, you know, this old creepy movie, this old slasher flick. Like now we have a new slasher flick to like add on there, to add on to the fun. There's definitely so many ways where you're gonna have a blast watching this with with friends. Uh but I, I do agree that it skirted the line of trying to be trying to be really smart and really it tried to be what the rob zombie movie was trying to be which was high concept <laughs> and that though i don't think there's out. a fair comparison not there, totally there. uh both rob zombie movies are pretty bad no 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 no, no. that's what i'm saying like it, it it didn't go that line the rob zombies movies were like we're gonna like mike myers is gonna be this like beast that but we're gonna really gonna get into his head and we're gonna try to explain all this stuff and like really get into it and this movie just like kind of gets to that line but then like diverts it just enough that i had a good time yeah and i think as i as i as i not necessarily defend this movie but because i know it's dumb i think as i as i talk out my own discussion topics i realize that the reason i love this movie is because it's dumb fun um and because it's dumb fun done in a fan service setting that is surprisingly at least in my opinion well shot and executed like i do think that the cool plot device of this house and i remember watching this in theaters and it was entirely gripping watching her go through this house one room at a time shutting off the rooms um which is smart you would you i wouldn't think to do that but she's eliminating the rooms um with these big metal doors that come down after she smashes on a button next to them and uh she has all these little tricks that are hidden all over the house. There's floodlights all over the ground she can activate. There's cameras. There's a turn the house into a bomb button. Um, (laughs) Which, by the way, I I will concede that there are probably better ways to booby trap your basement than blowing up all of your earthly possessions. But still, it was so cool. I just but then it wouldn't be a callback to Halloween too if right. you didn't have the gas and that's the right yeah blowing stuff up right so. but if you if you just if you had a blast door that just comes over the basement and you're like I don't know drop a grenade in before that happens I'm sure that could have also been they just you got to make sure he's dead that's what's driving me crazy about this movie is you've been so paranoid. But you know he's coming back, and you're relying on fire while you exit the house. <laughs> yeah, come on. She also, she 
is prepared for the zombie apocalypse here. Yeah, yeah. You know, full prepared. She's got 27 guns. She's got canned food down there. Why? Why does she have canned food down there if it's supposed to be a trap? Because I, I, I think it might as well double as a bomb shelter. A like, <laughs> Right. Just might as well be prepared for everything. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I'm just like, what? I don't. So how do you think he escaped the basement? Did he tunnel with a knife? Yeah, so so let's <laughs> let's talk about the end of this movie, and then we'll double back to the rest of our kind of uh, looser discussion topics. Uh, she does have a final shot of Michael staring up through the bars uh, of the stairwell at the, the three women, the three strode women, as they uh, seal his fate and run from the burning building. And uh, then we get a quick flashback, and he's gone. And that's why we're getting two more of these with uh, Jamie oh, wait, Lee Curtis we, returning. Did they flash back to him being gone? I thought it was just the breathing over the end of the credits. No, oh, you get a, the final you get shot of the burning basement. The basement. Okay, I must have looked away for a second or something. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, when I first saw that, it's like, oh, because he fell over. <laughs> like, like Because it's a very narrow shot. So so for him to no longer be in that shot is not entirely convincing to me that because he's, he's not an elderly man. And, but and we do have the relation. <laughs> Got to him. Right. Uh, but we do have two more of these movies, and yeah. that is where... I'm especially interested because I think the reason this movie is so effective and the reason a lot of critics liked it was because it strips all of that dumb Rob Zombie pretense that David was talking about and it brings it back to its simple bare bones. He's evil and he's going to come kill you with a knife and you should try to stop him. And that's the movie. Like, it's a very basic movie. You don't need to see the original film as David did not. And I worry with the addition of movies in this. Do we lose that? Do we lose the bare bare essentials that make this largely effective, if not somewhat dumb? Yeah, you definitely run the risk of it, especially because they're called Halloween Kills, fine, and Halloween Ends. And what what, what are we... Okay, Halloween Ends how? How are we getting to that end? What does end mean? Like they finally cancel Halloween in the, in the, in town. the town, right? Because what are we going to do? Cancel Halloween? I mean, yes. Uh, I mean, if the last shot of Halloween ends is not Jamie Lee Curtis lying in a pool of her own blood while Michael Myers lays next to her in a pool of his own blood, I don't, don't know how else we're going to end it. Like, and I don't know that they literally both explode just to prove to us they're dead. Yeah, I mean, the the <laughs> inherent problem with making sequels in a horror franchise is that the continuing character is the villain. You know, the villain mm-hmm. is the constant in a horror franchise. And so you're put in a position where you kind of start rooting for them instead of the people who are trying to survive the movie. Right. Because the, um, as, as the Halloween movies even went on, when they got more ridiculous, it just became like, how is Michael Myers going to kill him this time? Right, right. And I mean, it's just, that's where it tends to ge- degenerate into dumbness. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts going down the path of the Saw franchise of how creative can they get in torturing and killing people. And it there's, I don't find a whole lot that's interesting 
in that. You know, that's the one problem. The second problem is that they were going to do two movies back to back. Originally, they were going to shoot two movies back to back. But they decided to put out one first and see how it went and then see if there was any um, any call to make sequels to it instead of just bringing out a second movie that they figured people might hate. Um, but the problem with that is that it was they had originally planned to write for a pair of films. So they had to stop and they had to rewrite and they had to get rid of some of their original idea in order to make it a one shot and see what happened. Yeah. And and now you run the risk of, Oh, these next two movies are really successful. Okay. Uh, Halloween didn't end. That's the next movie. <laughs> Halloween didn't uh, Halloween. Gotcha. Halloween uh, yeah. Yeah. And a couple other things to mention here is that, you know, I think to, to both of your points, this, I think we're going to see a resurgence in many ways of a lot of these movies. I think Halloween kicks open the door. I think Jordan Peele and the Twilight Zone kick open the door. That's why there's so much talk this year about finally settling the legal rights that have caused Friday the 13th to just be in limbo for so uh, long because uh, new directors want to get in there and play with we Jason. Don't need that. No, but like people want to play with Jason. Well, I guarantee you guys, I'm making a prediction right now. By the end of the incoming decade, we will have reboots of both Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. We already did that. Jason and Freddy come back. We already did that. (laughs) But we we don't need it. I am so happy with the direction that horror has been going in the last five or so years. It's been getting smarter. It's been getting more psychological it's stuff that like sticks with you and haunts you and not just something where you come in watch a bunch of teenagers get killed and go home Mm -hmm. you know it's stuff that really makes you think and that makes me so happy i think but there's not i i and i agree with you but at the end of the day i don't know if a genre can survive on killing my soul every time i have to watch (laughs) an Ari Aster movie. Like, like I agree that, you know, like, and I totally agree because I love the same movies you Mm. do, Nicole, but I think you have to have the dumb, go kill the, go kill the teens in a fun way. Um, to just to cleanse because (laughs) I can't sit there watching hereditary and, you know, and Jordan Peele movies all day long or I'll go crazy. And I love horror. Reboot pumpkin head. Reboot (laughs) pumpkin head. (laughs) Um, but I, I do totally agree with you, right? Like it is bottom of the barrel ideas in an era of Ari Aster movies and Jordan Peele being this amazing force of nature and horror. And and this Bob is Doug, bottom of the barrel. The invitation. Exactly. And that's why it follows. Like there's so many of them. And that's why I want, th- I wanted this to be the end. I thought this was a perfect end. The three women ride away. And it doesn't matter whether or not he's alive or dead. We can just end it. Like, we brought Jamie Lee Curtis back. She was badass. It was fun. Let's does just anyone end else, And that's what... Does, does anyone else worry that with the daughter holding the knife at the end, the implication is she's going to become a killer? Oh, of course. I 100%, uh. 100% think that's the implication. that, Or at least, at the very least, she becomes the the heroine to kind of move into Jamie's position, you know? Cool, 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 cool. but but i do want to to move on to you know uh sexism in hollywood (laughs) i i i do i do want to mention that 
one thing I really do like about this movie is that there's there's a long-standing difficulty for um, women to reprise roles that they were famous for um, because you're not as cool if if you're an older woman as if you are an older man in Hollywood. You know, Han, uh, Han Solo and Indiana Jones can keep coming back looking increasingly decrepit, but God forbid you turn 40. Um, and this, I do like that Blumhouse came to Jamie Lee Curtis and, and frankly gave her like half the budget of this movie to do it and, um, and brought her back into this in a really cool way. Uh, I see that trend happening. I mean, we've seen it happen with Karen Allen just a couple weeks ago with Indiana Jones. I'm, I'm personally really excited for new Terminator. I know it's new Terminator and it's going to be bad, but I'm excited that, you know, Sarah Connor is back. Um, I'm, her name is totally escaping Hamilton. me right now. <laughs> Linda Hamilton, right. I'm excited that she's back. She gets to come back and be badass. And I feel like that's overdue. Dudes get to come back and be badass. Oh, yeah. Liam Neeson, the day is long. star in his mid-60s. Right. And, and there's so many cool, you know, characters and action and horror and all these, you know, franchises from you know years and years ago where we have awesome women that are older now that can come back into these roles if we want to if we want that fan service and we want that fun in things like halloween and terminator and i'm excited that the industry is at least moving in the direction where that's fun and that's cool and i think it's going to be really cool to see her banter back and forth with arnold yeah barbara crampton likes to work guys you know let's let's put her something right (laughs) that is one point Actually, you know, two points I will give this movie. Number one, that they really wanted to get Jamie Lee Curtis back. But number two, they make her capable and strong, but they right. don't try to make her look sexy. Exactly. They don't try to. She looks, she's she looks so much like what? my mother. She looks so yeah, much looks like, like my mother. Healthy, <laughs> she looks like a healthy grandmother. You know, like a grandmother yeah, who goes yeah, on five yeah. mile walks. That's. Yeah. Exactly. And she's the grandmother that she's, and I think that goes back to what I said earlier about the predator and the prey. She has become, you know, I don't know if calling her the predator is necessarily the right word, though I suppose well, it she is. Tries she tries to become really at creates the end. a trap. She goes on but, a stupid hunt or whatever. Right. But I think that's, that's a cool cultural shift in terms of her being the scared teen running away while all of her friends are getting killed. Like, I think that's a cool shift for her, for her character and for movies long term over the four decades since that came out. And I think that there's something to be said for that. Um, and there's something to be said for that because of Blumhouse. Blumhouse were the folks that really pushed, you know, Jason Blum wanted this movie made, pushed for it really hard. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about them because Blumhouse has a <laughs> a, a intense filmography of, of movies in their portfolio that are varying from really terrible to shock shockingly good like oscar winning at times and uh and i find them very interesting um because this this got like an 80 percent around tomatoes critics liked it it's halloween it's not going to go to the oscars but it was a huge step up from where the franchise had been and from where blumhouse we've we've talked about blumhouse before on this show i believe their whole strategy is throw a little bit of money you know, one, one to $3 million. When they started out, it was, you know, like 15,000. They've probably financed a few movies like that, but, you know, throw a little bit of money, see what happens. You know, if you make a movie for $1 million and it makes $16 million, you made $15 million. And as time's gone on, they've kind of built that out to, 
and you know sometimes making 247 million dollars right and you've accidentally helped make like one of the greatest and a modern horror classic that's this masterpiece of social commentary kind of we get out right kind of out of nowhere Right. Yeah, and and I mean they made they made Whiplash, which is a great movie. Yeah, that blew my mind when you told me that this week. Is that a horror movie? Uh, I think it might be. <laughs> Whiplash. It, no. I, it freaked me out. It took years off my life from stress. Yeah. No. No kidding. Uh, but right. I mean, you do have the 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 purges and the paranormal activities, and then they are involved in things like Get Out and. Uh, and this and film, Black, and, and we Black saw the Klansman. gift previously with that. Black Klansman, also. Black Klansman, right. I totally forgot. Black Klansman. And are they making it? So, or is that a uh, different studio? That's a different studio. Okay. Yeah, so I find them to be a very interesting but progressive studio in the sense that they you know, are funding a lot of really cool projects, yeah. and I'm excited about yeah. that as a horror fan because they do run that spectrum from good to bad, and right. I'm there for But both. I mean, when you're only... You know, only, but in the spectrum of movie making, one to five million dollars is is a very low sum of money. They can mm-hmm. afford to take chances. You know, they can yeah. they go to somebody who made like an interesting short film and say, "Here, here's the, let's see what you can do with four million dollars." You know, go go make something that you've always wanted to make. Right. They they go to. They go to Damien Chazelle and are like, you made a short film called Whiplash. Here's somebody to go make that into an actual movie. Uh, there's a, a Planet Money episode I'm sure I've talked about before that is all about Blumhouse and one of their movies getting made and their whole philosophy. If you really are curious about Blumhouse, it's a a great look into it. Um, I don't remember the episode title off, off the top of my head, but I'm sure if you look up Planet Money and Blumhouse, you will find it. And it's it's worth the listen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and Blumhouse has been, even in recent months, I mean, they renewed Into the Dark, which was something I thought was admirable on on the studio's behalf to try to accomplish, which was a anthology horror series on Hulu that was all directed and written by independent directors given each an episode. And, um, and there's some real stinkers in there. <laughs> uh, they gave the guy that was in Psych... An episode, a whole episode to himself, and it wasn't good. Um, but there are some really good ones in there, and just the fact that they would let themselves fall on their face for several episodes on Hulu to bring out some diamonds in the rough of these independent directors, I thought was really cool. Um, and then I, fr- I just remembered by doing a Google search that they also produced The Hunt, which got cut from theaters. So yeah, well. I suppose you can afford yeah, it, right? If you're Blumhouse and your, mo- your movie probably costs $15 million. Oh, yeah. They've made so much money. Yeah. So, anyway, I think I think they were pretty cool to bring this back. Let's talk about a couple of the very brief discussion topics. Ducky in the movie. <laughs> the Ducky character. Oh, Ducky. Uh, yes. Yeah. Ducky. Uh, the Ducky character because Ducky the caricature, right? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm for those of you who are more youthful. Uh, I'm referring to the Ducky character from the John Hughes movie, Pretty in yeah, Pink. Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Uh, who is the right. uh, very firmly, we used to call it friend zoning, the very firmly friend zoned uh, character 
who, you know, in some iterations of the movie ends up with the girl and in another iteration of the movie doesn't end up with the girl. Um, But in any case, but he's the awkward, nerdy, but loyal friend who really, really, you know, secretly is nursing a crush on the girl. And in this case, it's the best friend of the boyfriend. You know, the granddaughter is Allison and her boyfriend is Cameron. Is that right? Right. Boyfriend's name? That's so correct. And then Cameron's his best friend's name is Oscar. Okay. So Oscar uh, is Cameron's best friend, but he is clearly smitten with Allison. And it's like, uh, you know, at first I'm like, oh, look, here's somebody who looks like a real person. And you know, is maybe carrying a little extra weight, but that's not the focus of his character. You know, that's like so many movies where if somebody's overweight, they have to have a candy bar in their left hand at all times. Um, but the, you know, he looks like an actual person. He's kind of nice to the, the girl. He's, you know, kidding around with his friends and it's funny. And then when, she needs comforting because his friend was crappy to her out of nowhere turns into a raging jerk. um, And she dumps him and leaves him at the dance. He walks her home in a really nice way and does the thing, which you should never do guys. When the girl is in comfort, you do not hit on her. That is not the time. They're drunk. (laughs) It's okay. That's oh, just the, right. That's why it's okay that he does that. Okay. That's uh, the excuse they give everything in like in this movie. It's like, no, no, the character's acting weird because they're drunk. Yeah, not because it's convenient to the plot for the boyfriend to turn into a jerk and throw her phone into a puddle of yogurt. I don't know what yeah, that. I is. don't know what that. Bowl <laughs> yeah, was. what was that? <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna have. I do think the phone could have been saved. It wasn't liquid. Yeah, that, and it was still ringing. It was still ringing inside the bowl of tapioca. Right. <laughs> Would have been fun. So I mean, that's ah, uh, you know. So I mean, I don't like that they turn this character that could be nice into a jerk. Do they do it so that we don't feel as bad when he gets killed? Is like that 10 the seconds later? Yeah, like 10 seconds later when he thinks it's Mr. Whatever and it's Mike Myers and he hangs him up on the spike of the fence. Um, but there's that reminds me, though, of, of the other. This was the other big problem I had with this movie was these there were these character turns out of nowhere solely for plot convenience. Like the boyfriend who has seemed perfectly sweet and nice up to this point starts hitting on this other girl and like kisses her on the dance floor and gets where they they can be seen by everybody they know everybody everybody (laughs) yeah and it's just like wait where where did this he show no signs of being a jerk before seemed like a perfectly nice guy and i'm not gonna say that that doesn't happen i mean there's certainly toxic relationships where the guy seems perfectly nice until he's got you in a commitment and then turns into a monster. I mean, that, that does happen, but it doesn't tend to happen quite so much in 
high school with these like semi nerdy guys whose parents love him and your parents love him and you're a smart girl and you've decided he's okay. And you know, all just turns into a jerk because it's convenient that he can then throw her phone away. So then she doesn't have a phone. He has solved the cell phone problem by turning into an unexpected jerk. Like the doctor <laughs> yeah. turned psychotic out of nowhere. He seemed perfectly fine. And then all. Oh, uh, yes. We didn't talk about that at all. The doctor that has been infatuated with Michael for God knows how long yeah, as his. Caring you know, for Michael for physician. Like 25 years or something. Doctor, I wrote this down. Dr. Rambir Sartain, which I wrote down because I instantly started <laughs> trying to anagram it. And seeing if it was supposed to spell something else if you rearranged <laughs> letters, because it's that kind of name. I did not find anything, by the way. But um, unless you count, uh, you know, brain artisan as a <laughs> something that they wanted. We figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> Open and shut case right there. Right. Um, but I mean, he all he seems perfectly rational and fine until... Mike Myers gets hit with the car and then he stab the doctor stabs the cop out of See the- see that one? That one I kind of see though, because if you dedicate your entire because he says early on in the movie that his affinity for Michael is to understand the pleasure that comes from killing from someone who is pure evil that all the psychiatrists can't figure out any legitimate motivation for. And if you're the kind of person where the pure evil, passionate killing is something that just really, really, really revs your love, engine, then I feel that if to protect the specimen that you have spent 25 years learning from, you might want a little bit of a taste of that. And that's kind of what he gets. And, and I, I understand him more than I do just the boyfriend turning into a jerk. I don't know. I mean, he seems to expect... I mean, even I know in my limited experience with this series, he seems to expect that he can elicit some kind of response out of him after, you know, 25 years of treating him and Michael Myers not saying a word to anybody. He expects that Michael's going to talk to him. And he's, he's obsessed you, you with know it. better than anyone that that was never going to happen. Yeah, this this doctor also deserves to be in that facility, apparently. Well, because he was also as soon as uh, as soon as Allison was like, he he spoke to me. He wasn't like liar. He was like, what did he say? Tell me, what did he say? Becomes like obsessed with it instantly. Yeah, but he seems to conceal that obsession super well before that quick turning point. Well, you know, Doctor Harleen Quinzel was able to see the most dangerous patient in Arkham Asylum for quite some time before she turned. True, true. (laughs) Birds of Prey coming to a theater near you in 2020. Um, So let's close the the discussion, I think, with the best part of this movie. The not sure to- Toby Huss, the best part of this ah, movie, good old Toby uh, plays the father Ray. Oh, oh Ray, uh, yeah, exactly. yes, that guy. The embarrassing dad who complains about getting peanut butter on oh, his penis. God bless his daughter. 
Ah, uh, he's he's a yes, beautiful um, man. It's time to for context for oh, listeners. He is wearing pants in this scene. It's yeah, he is wearing pants. Yes, sorry. So, no. I don't no. know. I I love I love the naivete of his character in this movie. His death is so predictable, and yet uh, I don't know. I just and and also like Mike Myers decides to take his body and just push it in a cupboard for laughs. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, his wife doesn't seem too torn up about it, really. Well, I don't think she's had time. Not in to particular, it no. But just how quickly, just I love how quickly Mike Myers is able to move bodies around. Like, you ever have somebody <laughs> go? Know. You ever have somebody go full, just like slump down, and you have to drag him around? <laughs> That's not easy. Oh but, no, it's not good to put your past out, but not easy to put your past out buddy on the couch or their bed. No. Yeah. <laughs> Though I don't think any three of us can stomp through a human head with one clear stomp. That was insane. How yeah. much force? How much force was he putting down? He's wearing steel-toed worker boots. I, oh, you're right. My bad. That must be it. Still, though. <laughs> right. For every other movie, uh, his head caved in. It, t- it usually takes a few tries. You know. Right. Yeah, every time. No, I it's to like it. a tomato. Yeah, alrighty. Well, Halloween 2018. The reason I brought to you guys was for movie Ghoul Round is a new to two, and it's hard for me to find things you guys hadn't have seen. <laughs> so it was fun to bring something to the table that at least sparked discussions in several directions. Yes. Uh, are you guys happy you saw it at all? Is this a cultural hole you can now fill and feel like okay, at least I've seen it? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm not okay. unhappy. I, I, I could easily have gone without seeing it and been fine. Uh, I think. I mean, I think for me, you know, it's like a, that kind of was a cultural blind spot. Like I'd never seen a Halloween movie, and now I've seen a Halloween movie. Like I said, I didn't dislike this film. That I, I could see myself watching this again with friends around Halloween time, just to kind of have in the background while we're chatting and you know having a laugh at head jack o' lantern. Uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not upset that I've watched it. Oh, oh, wait. No, I am happy that I saw it if only for like the 5 minutes with Julian and his babysitter. Oh, which, the babysitter. You know, David yeah. was saying I want to see the sitcom with, you know, Julian and and Vicky. And I was just like, yeah. yeah. Right. Ju- Julian Julian being a kid that that Vicky, one of the friends of of the granddaughter that very early on gets off by Michael, uh, she's looking after Julian as a baby. I love when Julian's running by and David's like, I'm going to go help. And he's like, you're going to get killed, David. I'm like, yeah, Julian gets it. (laughs) Julian's getting out of the situation as fast as possible. You know, and is but as awesome and as as awesome and cool as this actor was and i think he's fantastic and i'm so glad he's in the movie it's still kind of smacks of oh look we squeezed another black person into the movie besides the sheriff with the hat <laughs> it is a very very white movie that is true yeah 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 so I'm, I'm going to give Blumhouse a pass on that as the as the producers of get out i don't <laughs> think that they're necessarily I, I think I, I think they have their heads on straight in terms of uh, inclusion and progressiveness in a lot of oh, the, their movies they've been doing more I recently. I'm not blaming the studio. I I think that's something that perhaps the director uh, or casting person for them could have done a, a better job at. 
let's just blame Danny McBride because we went an hour and didn't talk about how Danny McBride wrote this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Danny McBride wrote this movie. Well, he's one of the writers. You're all Danny McBride. Co-wrote it with the director. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He co-wrote it with the director and um, another weird turn of comedian gone into horror. I mean, I don't know. It's not to the effect of Jordan Peele. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. He's in it though. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, alrighty. Well, guys, I'm glad I'm glad you guys hopefully got some enjoyment and fun out of it for it. It is a fun Halloween season uh, film. If our, you know, if movie ghoul round listeners are looking to pad their schedule with fun Halloween movies this October, uh, let's go around the table and see where we can find everybody online. David, where are you at? I am around uh, online under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. I'm also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast. And when this comes out, I am hopefully still plugging along on America's Next Top Podcaster. Either way, if I'm if I'm no longer on the show or if I am, go check it out and have some fun listening to that show and see how I'm doing or did. Very good. Well, we are wishing you the best of luck with that. That'll be exciting to listen to. Nicole, what about you? Where can people find you online? Uh, Nicole underscore Davis on Letterboxd. And I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Follow along with the movie go round or movie ghoul round rather marathon as it continues this week. Tomorrow we are watching Aramentari, which is again a Spanish film in the Basque language. Be sure to check it out on Netflix for Netflix roulette. We'll see you tomorrow. 